Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up with Jeff Klender earlier today, CEO at UR Energy. Uh, we talk about the US Uranium Reserve, what's been happening there. He's been in contact. Um, we talk about his thoughts on the macro timing of the market, what they're doing about it, and what they're going to be spending their 15 million bucks that they've raised recently on. If you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, the topics discussed, the company, even Jeff, uh, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis. There's commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities, including our weekly uranium show, now in its 51st week. Um, we have training courses on there to help you with your diligence process. We've got a wonderful, uh, thriving audience of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly and safe environment, free from judgment, trolling and abuse. I hope you uh, feel that sounds nice because it definitely is. Go in and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Jeff Klender, how are you, sir? Doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me on again. I, you know, it's been a year, a whole year. It can't believe it. I know. I know. You don't look. They're going faster and faster too. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, like I, I think um, uranium is back on the agenda. We, you know, we we talked a lot about what was happening with the, in the U.S. You, you know, the uranium reserve, the RSA, the uh, the whole two three two things. We we've, we've talked a lot about that, and I think there's still there's still some yards to be to, to uh, and yarns to be told about that i suspect but um so how how are you, are you at home have you managed to get out are you allowed out yeah yeah actually uh, colorado has opened up quite a bit uh, not as much as some other states like texas and florida obviously but uh, for the most part our restaurants are open uh, still can't go to concerts or um, movies for the most part or sporting events uh, they although uh, we did have opening day last week and uh, you know 20,000 people were able to see the the first day of uh, you know rockies baseball uh, uh, i they had i was supposed to have tickets didn't manage them this year and i generally don't miss opening day because that is the one day of the year where our team is as good as any other in the league and it is the only game, the only day, the only day of the year where that's the case. So, so I don't like to miss it. Right. Well, there, there you go. There you go. What about you? You managing to get out and about? You keep you keeping busy? You bet. Uh, even got managed to get a little bit of golf in. We're nice. starting to uh, get up into the high seventies and eighties. So it's beautiful out here in Colorado, and uh, you know we're uh, we're pretty lucky. I know other guys are locked down pretty hard. Uh, and they're locking down Europe once again, so uh, we don't want to return to that. So I think that uh, you know maybe we're uh, maybe we're starting to emerge from this. Uh, and, yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. High seventies and eighties. Wouldn't that be a good golf score? Wouldn't it? Let alone yeah, the weather. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, well, I, well, my golf score is the nineties. So, uh, <laughs> so my, 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 mine's mine's just a little bit higher than that. Uh, <laughs> I, I have yeah. dreams. I have dreams, though. Um, hey, well, look, um, we're here to talk about you, um, what you have been up to. It's been a while, so I guess we've got a lot to catch up on and talk about going forward. So, but for people new to this, because a lot of new uranium mm -hmm. investors um, in, in the uh, in this 
sector now, which is which is great news. But give them a one minute overview of what your business is, and we can pick it up with some of those topics in a second. Great, happy to. Uh, I'm chairman and CEO and uh, co-founder of this company. We started it in 2004, so actually last week we marked our 17th year as a company, and during that time. Uh, we spent uh, probably seven, eight years as a permitting and licensing story, like so many others in the space. Um, we're able to get into production in 2013. We have been in production ever since. Uh, one of the things that we did that I think separated us from our peers is that we ended up with just a fantastic property at Lost Creek. It has just been a, a just an, an excellent producer, great permeability, great porosity. The grades have been just perfect for... Uh, continual production. We have emerged as the what we believe is the lowest cost producer outside of Kazakhstan globally. Uh, the only one I think is cheaper is probably BHP, but their byproduct production down at Olympic Dam. Aside from that, uh, while we've been we've, we've scaled back production now at this point and operations to the to the point where we're simply flowing the plant, we're on care and maintenance, we're not on standby, that would be shut down. We're on care and maintenance. So uh, we continue to we refurbish and we're doing any repairs that need to be done. We're cleaning out all the circuits. We've built our inventory at Converdine to about 300,000 pounds of U.S. produced uh, material that we hope to be able to deliver into the U.S. reserve once that's stood up. But of course, uh, we're like everyone else waiting for the politics in, in Washington to take place. So I'm uh, kind of playing the waiting game right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's a few things you touched upon there that uh, might be worth explaining to people. Because I'm just kind of conscious of how many sort of beginners or new people in the uranium investing space there are to this. So, um, explain to them exactly the, the type of production that you've got when you're talking about flowing. What does that mean for you? Because you, you you're quite tight with money, right? You're you're cautious. You're pragmatic, but you've yeah. had to spend some hey, money. We're a, we're a solution miner, and so what that means is that we pump a lixiviant underground, and it's an alkaline solution. It's not an, uh, a sulfuric acid like they use in Kazakhstan. It's, it's more like a highly oxygenated area water. It dissolves the uranium in place. We pump out the impregnated solution. It gets loaded onto millions of tiny polymer beads that are a loaded resin. We then strip the uranium from that loaded resin, it goes through, it is dewatered then and precipitated when then ultimately filtered, pressed, dried and packaged as yellow cake. And it goes out the back door in 875 pound drums and at $50 a pound, let's just use a round number, that's typically about $43,000, $44,000 per barrel. And that's our business model. And so we've been very efficient at doing that. And for the last eight years, we've never missed a delivery and we've had great contracts to deliver into. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of interesting. There are not a lot of producers in the US Right. And we've talked in the past about, you know, the US wanting a uh, uranium reserve and they're putting putting some money aside for that. And um, there's some conversations to be had. And you've been deeply involved since you, you know, you, you were one of the first, you were one of the two Section 232 petitioners back in the day. Um, how are things going with the US government? Anything uh, developing? Well, I think that uh, what we're waiting for right now, and especially we want this uranium reserve stood up and keep in mind, this was signed on December 22nd, and there was supposed to be a, a, a format and outline of the program presented to the appropriators one month later, 30 days later. That did not happen. We've been on the phone with the Department of Energy. This will fall under their purview. 
And in our conversations with the Department of Energy, we've met with the the two people that are going to be running the program. They both seem like brilliant. Uh, the resumes are impeccable, very fine people, but they're not going to do anything until the political appointees are in place. That's where the hangup is. And the primary one is the as is the nuclear energy head of the Department of Energy. So that division of the Department of Energy, until that head of nuclear energy division is in place, we, we're not going to see anything move forward on the uranium reserve. It's re- it's re- I think it's ready to go. The folks that have been assigned to it have been working on it for the last three months. So we know that it has progressed somewhat, but until the political appointees are in place, the career personnel are not going to act unilaterally. They're going to wait until they've got instructions from the from the political appointees from the Biden administration. So we are we're still waiting on that for the uranium reserve. So what's the delay? I mean, Biden's been in nearly a hundred days. Surely political appointees have been allocated to all parts of government by now. They they have, but uh, we saw that. Um, uh, Granholm was named secretary of the Department of Energy. Then there was an, an undersecretary that was named as well. But what we've seen is that, unfortunately, since the Biden administration came in, uh, first we were occupied with an impeachment of a, at that time, a past president, which was unprecedented. Then we moved forward to the first stimulus package, which was $1.9 trillion, you know, a trillion here, trillion there. Uh, it really starts to add up to real money after a while. And uh, now we're working on yet another infrastructure project. And so these seem to be all consuming and they and they seem to be taking precedent over getting key personnel in place. And let's face it, since um, this administration has been in, it's been very positive for us. Make no mistake about that. I'm not complaining. They've said all the right things with respect to uranium. They are, are definitely making... Um, nuclear power of a, a very large part of their clean energy mandate, but uh, they have been slow moving in getting some of the political appointees in place. And until that time, again, the career staffers will not make these decisions on their own. They're going to wait until they've got the higher ups, giving them instructions. Um, you don't last long in government by making your own decisions, I don't think. But you, you're not sitting around waiting for the U.S. government. You, you've got to get on with the business of running your business. And, and, and you know, what are you looking to? Because I, I get the uranium reserve could me, be a meaningful chunk of change for you. It's, it's not a small beer. Um, but how, how are you viewing how you manage and insert yourself into the uranium market proper uh, going forward? What are you doing about it? Well, two things going on right now, actually three things. We are one, believe it or not, the budgeting process for 2022 is already underway. So we're engaged in that. And what we're hopeful of is that we're going to make it into the president's budget this year. Last time we kind of came in a side door through the Senate, then made it into the omnibus budget at the very end of the year. What you really want is you want to be part of the House budget that comes out, and, and that's at the direction of the White House. So that's number one. We're already working on 2022, so that's underway. The other thing is, is that as part, as one of the members of the Uranium Producers of America, we've been conducting what are congressional fly-ins. There are no 
virtually no face-to-face um, meetings taking place right now. So any lobbying that you'd like to do on behalf of your industry is being done remotely via Zoom calls like this. And so we're doing a lot of that uh, and, and doing those fly-ins with congressional members. And in addition to that, we are in a position now where um, we're really trying to expand our um, presence on the left side of the aisle. Uh, during the last administration, uh, it, the, the Republicans controlled the White House, they controlled the Senate. And so we focused on what we felt was a very friendly environment um, in, within the Trump administration. Now we're finding that we really need to work harder to make sure that the uranium story and the, and, and the national security element of it in particular is something that is taken up by uh those, those members of Congress with a D after their name, and we have to be sure that, uh, that we're approaching those folks. And additionally, there have been a couple of bills that have already been submitted uh, that would further promote nuclear, one that would provide credits to utilities for buying domestically produced material and so on, and others that would preserve those, those uh, nuclear power plants that are up and running. So we're certainly supporting those uh, as best we can. So we're doing everything to access the members of Congress that we can during a time of very limited access, unfortunately. So Right. That's where we find so, it. So that's, but that's, that's the U.S. government side of things. I'm trying to work out what you're doing outside of the U.S. government con, uh, conversations, because we, we've seen the last three months, most uranium um, juniors around the world, you know, on various exchanges have seen a, a pop. So there's been a definite change in mood, interest, narrative. Um, most companies have doubled, if not trebled, uh, their, their share price along the way. And like you, taking the opportunity to raise some capital. So you, you don't go and raise some capital without an idea of what you want to do with it. So what are you doing with your, your capital and where are you inserting yourself into the market? Well, for us, it's going to be, look, we're, doing, we're no different than anybody else. What you've seen, and as you've mentioned, you've seen a lot of the juniors come in and, and some of them are buying uh, inventory right now. And personally, I think that that's a good move. Uh, I, I think that uh, it does three things for those companies. It gives one, it, uh, it gives them the ability, it gives them an asset on their books that they can actually borrow against uh, with legitimate lenders. It puts them into a position where they can go out and contract because now they've got material that they can deliver into the early years of those contracts and be able to ramp up while they're waiting for that material. Then in addition to that, um, it Frankly, you can only go so many years threatening to become a uranium company. Eventually, you have to have uranium. And so it is giving much needed legitimacy to some of these companies. I'm in favor of all three. I think it's good. And it's soaking up excess inventory out there. For us, one of the things that we have maintained all along, and I think is one of our really our strengths as a company, is that we have maintained our operational staff through all of this. And so uh, other companies, when it comes time to produce, so whether they've got uranium inventory that they can deliver immediately or not, they're going to have to go out and find people that can actually run an in situ plant. Um, these guys are not just sitting around waiting to you know for the phone to ring. It's hard to find these guys. Uh, we've kept our best operational people on at, at considerable cost. We've uh, refurbished all the circuits in our plants and 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 cleaned them out. We're 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 on uh, care and maintenance, and we're waiting for that right now. But what we're looking to do is that I think, like everybody else, um, I've had the question many times: Would you consider going out and buying material right now? 
Um, for us, the answer is I would consider it, but I don't think it's as imperative for us as it is for other companies. Remember, I can ramp legitimately to a million pound per year run rate, and I can do it in six months at a total cost of about $14 million. Um, there is no one else in our industry, and particularly in North America, that can ramp to that rate in that period of time and for that low a cost. So for me to go out and buy material, yes, that's one way that I can increase my number of pounds over and above the inventories that we already hold. We, but for me, it's not as important. Now, quite candidly, if we find ourselves with a higher price currency and we're able to raise money and the money is available and we're, and we're still waiting for either the domestic utilities to come in and contract uh, on, on a commercial basis or the federal government to come in and contract by the uranium reserve, uh, we may very well go ahead and purchase product at that time. Uh, I know that we're expecting to still see more players come into the marketplace. We certainly hope that that's the case. Um, we've been, a lot of the demand, a lot of the forward demand for the next few years has been consumed by the carry traders uh, and, and by the uh, low-cost producers. I mean, when the Kazakhs, as long as the Kazakhs can continue to produce in Tenge and sell in dollars, they're going to always have a viable market because they just keep devaluing the Tenge. And the carry traders, on the other hand, now they're, they rely on two things, very low interest rates and inventories that are readily available that they can acquire and then be able to uh, sell into the forward market uh, to the utilities at what is actually a fairly nominal um, premium over and above what they purchased it for. So I, I think that um, for us, there's a lot of good things happening. We're seeing that excess inventory being consumed in the marketplace. Now it's trading hands. It's going from the traders and the from the carry traders and other um, national traders to now it's going into the hands of the of the producers in the marketplace. And they they are not going to release that material as cheaply as the traders would have. So um, the markets it's it's converting from an inventory market to a production market. Well, I, I, I hope it is. I mean, I, I, obviously, there's been a, a, a spate of companies raising capital to go and buy pounds in the market. And, you know, whether it mops up all the ex excess mobile inventory, who knows, right? I, I think it's it's not enough money to really make it make a dent there. But in the, in the same same light, you know, I, I agree with you that companies, it's good for companies to be seen to be doing something like this, but for different reasons. Some because... They've got nothing else going on. And to your point, no, no near-term production going to happen uh, that we that we can see. But as an investor, I don't necessarily want to be playing or investing in an arbitrage game of I'll buy it at thirty-one pounds and I'll maybe sell it for fifty at some point in the future. I, that's not what I'm Agreed. buying. I'll go and invest in Yellowcake or UPC if I wanted to do that. So I'm interested in the bit that you just said, which is there are not many U.S. companies going to be able to get into production quickly and react to the market. And therefore, not many U.S. companies are going to be able to have the conversation with U.S. utilities to say, well, let's talk term contracts. That's not going to happen anytime soon. No, it's not. And look, 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 let's maybe I should shift gears here a little bit and talk about something that I think that the as you're referring to, if, if I'm an investor and I'm looking at this space, I need legitimate catalysts that really give me a reason to buy into this market. I think the primary one right now that I would emphasize is that we are now in our third consecutive year 
of above 50 million dollar uh, 50 million pound per year uh, structural deficits. Uh, that's significant. That has to be made up for. I mean, when you have a structural deficit of 50, 60 million pounds a year, and we've been averaging right in that range for the last two years, and now this will be the third year in 2021. Um, fundamentally, if you've got a market that's consuming approximately 180 million pounds a year, and you have a 60 million pound deficit, that's one third of your annual consumption. No, I would suggest to you and your listeners that no commodity can go for very long with those type of deficits without there being a surge in price ultimately. And let's face it, the utilities, they have been buying off market from some of the carry traders and from some of the inventories that have been coming out of some of the other trading entities and and maybe even some of the sovereign national sovereign entities, but that that is diminishing. And so we find ourselves in a position where the, the fundamentals are very strong. Remember last year with COVID, we only saw one of the 55 reactors that are under construction actually come onto the market and begin uh, operations. This year, they're expected to be 12. We have the Japanese reactors. They have now nine reactors up and running and the Chinese will be adding more throughout the year. So I think that there's a, there is real significant demand. We are a growth story as an industry, but beyond that, there's been real significant supply destruction that will not come back online. There was just recently a survey that was released by UX, I'm sure you saw it, and they looked at it and they said, look, okay, what kind of prices do, do you see as being required uh, for this market to restart either existing facilities or to start new production. And the vast majority of those were fell somewhere in the 40 to $50 range. So we have to have higher prices in order to incentivize either restarts of existing facilities or new facilities coming online. So with those higher prices, will come higher equity prices still. And so I think for the average investor out there, there's a real, um, there's a real uh, supply demand fundamental for them to be investing into, is I guess the way I would put it. Totally. So, and I was talking to another CEO about how you play this market because he was saying, I don't want to rush and be first because I'm probably going to not get the best terms. I'd rather wait six months and get better terms um, because the supply deficit um, is, is significant. And, you know, that's probably, well, for this individual, that's seems to make a lot of sense. But you, you've got the option of getting back into production at a, at a meaningful run rate within six months, 14 million bucks spent. Um, how are you going to play it? Well, I think right now, first of all, I think that we, we've seen, and this, I think this is important. I estimated before we started the year that we would see likely half a dozen uh, RFPs from the utilities come into the market um, in the first quarter. Uh, I missed it. We saw five. And there was only one of them that was really of any real significant volume. So we didn't quite get what we were what we were hoping for. Uh, now, I've, I've been paying attention to how the utilities have reacted to this, uh, the buying that has taken place so far by a number of the producers and Yellow Cake. And, and there are those that think that UPC will likely be coming into the market as well. So far, the response from the utilities has been somewhat muted. And, and that's to be expected. They're never, these guys are never going to tip their hand. And I don't blame them. This is their business and they're, they're not going to. Um, but I think that uh, 
at some point, uh, I think that if this continues, uh, they're going to be, you're going to see them come into the market. I have said for about six, six months now, I personally expect the utilities to be in the market in larger quantity, volume of material that they're looking for. But I expect that in the second half of this year. And if we spend the first half of this year with other entities like uh, the small producers or um, the yellow cakes and UPCs of the world going out there and buying and soaking up that inventory. It's nothing but good for us. And, and let's not forget that because uh, Adam Prom was in the market buying because they had to make their deliveries to yellow cake. You get Cameco in the market buying, although in small quantities, but their quantities have got to increase. Um, they've stated at the beginning of the year what they need to purchase and, and, uh, They've only put a very, very small dent in that. They've only bought a fraction of what they need to buy in the marketplace. So I think there's consumption coming. And I do think that we will see the utilities in the market in, in, uh, in H2 of this year. In, of this year, I think you've answered my next question, which is um, I was going to ask you whether you're in, in contact or in discussions with utilities. Sounds like no. In which case, who knocks on whose door first? Do you have to wait for an RFP or can you uh, maybe? No, we can we can reach out um, and, and we've uh, we've not started that process yet, only because we're just um, we've seen the uh, uh, the RFPs that have come out. If they were larger in volume, we would be responding and and we do respond to all of the RFPs and we do respond with quantities that we would need. Remember, just because somebody gets a contract and maybe it's only, maybe it's 200, 250, 300,000 pounds a year for most companies, ours included, that is not enough volume to incentivize a restart of production. It simply isn't. We really need to be upwards of five, 600,000 pounds a year and above in order for, uh, for us to justify it from a financial standpoint. So um, my feeling is that we would do more aggressive re outreach to the utilities when we see a little more volume on those RFPs come into the market. And as I said, we saw five in the first quarter, that was encouraging, but only one of them was of uh, what I considered to be adequate volume. So um, right now it's it's still a trickle. It's just not, it's not enough for us to really reach out. And they're, they're not demonstrating that they, that they need more material than that, that makes it worth our while to, to reach out to them and say, look guys, when are you coming into the market? That, uh, doesn't bode well for us in terms of getting the best prices either. Right, of course. Now, most of your gains since we've last spoke have been come in the last three months, and it, and I think the market's done a lot of the heavy lifting there. You haven't yet decided to take control. You've raised some money. I get that. I want to talk to you about that in a sec. But if that's what the market can do for you, um, when when does that affect your decision making in terms of when you want when you think you need to um, start a process get the timing right start deploying this capital like for instance this fifteen million bucks you've got you you said to me with fourteen million bucks I can get into production you just raised fifteen should we read anything into that or are you spending the money in other things no right now we in fact our 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 cash position is about 18 million and our and our inventory position is about 9 million and and you can it's essentially a cash equivalent i can convert that into cash in about 5 days so um we feel that we're very strong in cash right now but candidly uh i could go ahead and i could i could ramp to a million pounds per year run rate right now but it would it would leave us thin on cash once again and it would put us in a position where 
nobody's going to go out and spend the money to restart um, idle production right now or to re or to start new production unless they have contracts in hand. And quite candidly, what we did last time around is that we made very good use of what we found to be favorable um, credit terms. And so we were able to go out and borrow the money. And, and you really, those contracts mean a lot because then you can go out into the marketplace. I don't have to dilute my shareholders and I can, I can go out there. And especially since we've now got eight consecutive years of uh, production under our belts, I can go to legitimate lenders and I can borrow money, um, you know, with any of the big boys out there at, uh, at very competitive rates that simply weren't available to us before we had a track record in production. Okay, but with 18 million buck cash plus 9 million equivalents in, in, in uh, E308, um, are you revving the engine somewhat? Or are you tiny well, I think up? We're, 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 we're preparing everything. And, and uh, what we're doing is that we've certainly, we've increased our, our wastewater capability. Uh, as a plant, um, we have actually, uh, increase our capability by more than 40%. So that's something that's significant. And I've, I may have said this, um, in, in, in one of my interviews with you, but this is something, and especially for somebody who's new to the industry, let me just emphasize that, that one, there's a couple of things that people are not asking about our industry right now, which they should be. And one of those is, is that for somebody who's portending to be a producer in the future, what is that capex? What is the capex? What's the time frame to get to a million, get to two million pounds per year? That is a very relevant question. Um, not only that, but can you sustain it? How long can you sustain it for? Because getting to a run rate is one thing. Staying there is another. That's a, that's a whole nother matter. And how, what kind of rate of return are you building in for your shareholders? I think that these are important questions that are, that are not being answered. And, uh, and one of the things that I would emphasize to anybody who's new to the uranium market and wants to really understand it, because now most production globally, more than 50% anyway, is in situ. Uh, conventional is generally more expensive, not all of it, but it's generally more expensive. So I can, we're going to continue to see higher and higher percentages of production globally done via in-situ production. And there's two things that you have to remember about in-situ. If you cannot flow, you can't produce it. And if you can't dispose, you can't produce it. Those are just absolutely critical. So when you're evaluating a company, and even if they've been a producer in the past, well, what have your flow rates been? Are you able to flow efficiently? And just as importantly, are you able to dispose? Because if you're not able to dispose, you can't, pre you can't produce at a competitive rate. And so you need both critical elements in order to be able to truly be competitive out there. So we feel that we're doing as much as we can right now. The way we're viewing the 18 million that we have in cash is that it's just extended runway until we do something different. And that could be acquiring pounds via the open market out there. And I don't mind telling you, we are looking at acquisitions as well. And other companies are doing the same thing. I think that um, while properties have certainly gotten more expensive over the course of the last three months, which is uh, unfortunate, but now you've got greater reason to go out there and, and grow resources. Um, I'm not a big fan of buying pounds in the ground. As you know, we have always felt 
that with $10 million uh, of exploration, I can add a tremendous amount of producible pounds just right in and around my processing plant. So um, we haven't had the need to go out and buy additional properties, but we have acquisitions that we're looking at right now. So we're, we're certainly willing to acquire pounds either in the open market in the form of, of just material that we would store at Converdine, ready for to be delivered to the utilities, or to buy pounds at this point that we think would augment our production footprint. Okay, well, appreciate that. Just give, just give me a little bit more clarity, if, if you don't mind. So on things like um, the way that you're spending money, I've seen the license amendment at Lost Creek, you know, permits and stuff, all this kind of tidying up that you're doing, just kind of, I guess, get the surface uh, flat and, and ready for work. I mean, um, can yeah. you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, I can. And, and one of the things that we've done is that we've really, uh, really cut our burn rate. Right now, as a company, we are probably at the lowest burn rate that we've been at in 13, 14 years. So we have runway that would take us all the way through to the end of 2023 and probably into calendar year 2024. You mentioned that we're also, we've, pre- we've press releases just last week that we were able to increase our permitted capacity there at uh, Lost Creek uh, up to 2.2 million pounds, and we can produce there 1.2 million pounds. And we've now increased the production permitted production capacity to 2.2 million pounds. This is not um, material um, uh, undisclosed information, so I don't want to want you to think for a moment I'm going there. But I think everyone knows that we have been converting our licenses over at Shirley Basin from conventional to in situ. The significance there is, is that as soon as that's complete, and we have stated in our past press release that just came out last week that that was going to happen in the very near term. Um, it is going to happen in the very near term, and that will double our permitted capacity to in excess of four million pounds per year. So these are this, you know, we've been going through the regulatory process. We've been doing all the refurbishment or any that needed upgrading or updating at the plant. We've been building out our wastewater capacity and lowering the cost there. And we have cut costs on everything. There's three primary components right now that go into in situ recovery. And those are manpower, electricity, and chemicals. And we have cut all sharply. So uh, again, our burn rate is the lowest that it's been uh, in probably 13, 14 years. So this is giving us tremendous runway. Right. The, the picture I'm just trying to um, paint in my own mind is it seems to be you're, you're tidying, I get the cutting costs and the low, lowest GNA for, for years, and it, you're, but you're tidying up or housekeeping ready for the point when you want to make the decision as to when you, you yeah. uh, commence again. And that'll be, that's the 14 million bucks you're going to allocate to that. Okay. You mentioned something a second ago, M&A. There's another thing, kind of, kind of like the upcharge of buying pounds in the market. It kind of worries me slightly, and I want to understand your perspective on this. You know where the good assets are, and you know where the not so good assets are. And but you and I both know that there's going to be an M and A game played here of roll-ups, and here someone's going to step into the market and say, "We'll just do a roll-up, put a bunch of assets together. It'll look good." Are you tempted to be that guy? You know what? I think that. Um we have looked at a number of assets already in the past over the last several years as they've come onto the market then come off the market and the reason they come off the market is because they couldn't get the price they thought that they should get 
for these assets they were still living in the past uh for whatever reason uh i think that uh, our view on it is that um yeah you're right i mean we've gotten to be a very small fraternity as an as a as an industry anymore i mean you, there are probably 50 60 uranium companies out there but of those there's probably not more than 10 that as far as i'm concerned anybody ought to be putting any money in uh that's just my view on it uh and uh, so i think that and and of those 10 companies uh, there are no secrets uh you know i can i can look at everybody's press releases i can hear what they're saying in the marketplace and um you know um let's yeah i don't want to say that people play fast and loose with the truth but we all know what each other has we we all do we know who has the legitimate projects we know who can really flow that project and, and who can't we know who can dispose and who can't we know who we have a pretty good idea of what that actual cost of production is going to be and this is something that um the average investor simply doesn't get and even what i would consider to be some of the more sophisticated institutional investors i find that very few of them are truly savvy to that and i think that this is something that's going to become more important uh you can't be you can't be a promising story forever eventually you're going to have to grow up and become a real boy pinocchio i mean you're just going to have to happen i mean you can't <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'm going to be a great low cost producer someday. Well, yeah, well, it's been 15 years you've been telling me that now and so, you know, but I think that um look, it's it's hard. It's it's hard as an investor now in on in one sense since there's only 10 companies in the stars I'm concerned are even worth anybody investing in, it's a very easy industry to analyze. But from the standpoint of really determining who's got projects that will actually flow very well the where it will dissolve in solution very well where they can they're capable of disposal and they're capable of consistent uh recovery and delivery into contracts that's a little harder to ascertain and it requires good people like yourselves in the marketplace that can help sort this out because to the average investor I mean look when they when they look at what's going on in a company like mine they don't understand in situ recovery and it's and that's understandable that's not their business um but i think that um one of the things that i do like is that uh, there's a there's a brighter light being shown on this marketplace right now there's uh much more interest in it and i think that the um that there's a people there's a lot of people that are ramping up on that learning curve very quickly and i think it's and i think it's necessary uh eventually would i like to be one of the guys that's rolling up the industry yeah but i'm, I'm not going to buy junk um i don't care how well it's been selling in the marketplace i'm not in the market uh you know i'll, I'll leave that to the unsophisticated investors uh that's that's their game um for me it has to be something that i can legitimately add to my production profile and if i can't add it in the next 3 to 5 years or know that it's not capable of coming into production in the next 3 to 5 years typically our position as a company has been that we're not interested it, it it's we're, i think it's fascinating because there's two game two ways to play this game uh, and the, the reason i asked you that question was cuz i can see people readying themselves to do the roll up and they won't care what goes in there and as an investor you need to be clear that you understand that game because there's it's it's uh it's not a fundamentals game this these companies 
Well, these assets will probably unlikely ever get into production because that's not the game that's being played. And you've got to understand yeah. where your exit point is. Okay. So it's just the way that the market is. So you're a fundamentalist. You want to build businesses. You, you have produced pounds. You will produce pounds and you're trying to do it in the most economic and ethical way, it seems uh, to, to me. So, no, I, I, so I, I enjoyed asking that question. I enjoyed your answer as well. Um, appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so let, let, let's, look, let's look forward. You, you've got to time this right when you start to spend money, when you turn the engine, well, you're revving the engine, but when you put your foot on the pedal, is what it, what's your expectation of time? You said second half, but give me a bit more detail. Well, I think that if we, for for example, if 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 I had, uh, if I can deliver into the uranium reserve, let's start with government first. If I can deliver into the uranium reserve, I've got inventory. And, and in fact, I asked the Department of Energy when we met the folks that are going to be leading the program. We asked them, uh, "How will you treat our inventory?" So I said, "Well, frankly, we don't know yet. We we have to wait to be told by the higher ups." Okay. But, we're still not appointed yet. So uh, they're waiting. We'll find out. But, uh, you know, whatever the uranium reserve turns into, we stand ready to deliver into it with U.S. produced inventories, not production that is in the future. If I were to get an adequate contract from one or more of the utilities, let's say that I were able to acquire that in over the summer in June or July, I can be ramped up to that million pound per year run rate by Christmas and I can be there at a very reasonable price. We're ready to go. We've got the people on staff right now uh, because we've kept our operational staff this whole time. And uh, when it comes to acquisitions, we're we're gonna we're gonna keep a lookout. We do have a very keen eye. We have a very discerning eye, and and we have a very discriminating eye. And the reality is is that. Um, if I wanted to be a guy that was already rolling up companies just for the pounds in the ground, I could have already done that. Um, but unless they meet our our standards, uh, we simply won't engage in that game. It's not going to be us. Somebody else can do it, but it won't be us. Uh, and uh, I, I don't mean that to sound uh, condescending in any way to anybody else in the industry. All I'm saying is that um, we have a reputation, I believe, for doing everything we ever promised we would do in this marketplace. And we have been successful at that. And that's going to continue to be our reputation. And we're not going to buy anything where the marketplace is going to be looking at us and saying, wait a minute, you guys have three quality projects over here that you've demonstrated. This is this one's a former producer. This one's just a gorilla. And now you've bought this. Explain that. I don't ever want to have to explain that. Okay, that's your reputation. Let's. Talk, I want to talk about the U.S. You, you're well connected, well informed, and you've got strong views. The U.S. You're going to produce a million pounds, maybe two million pounds, maybe at some point four million pounds. The U.S. is consuming circa fifty million pounds a year. Not too many other producers. We've got you know energy, energy fields. We've got well, it's a very short list. Let me put it like that. Um, they're going to have to cozy up to someone. The Canadians are. I guess we've got Cameco, but apart from that, the rest seems to be struggling with permits and licenses, and there's there's some timing issues there. What's the U.S.'s solution? Where is it getting its pounds from? What's changed? Well, nothing's uh, nothing's changed much at this point, other than I like to think that others are bringing forward their projects as well as best they can, and that is exactly what they should be doing in this marketplace. So I think that uh, you know that's that's good to see, and I think that. Um, 
you know, our sales and energy deals, everyone, I think, look, we're, you're talking to a sophisticated audience here. Uh, let's let's treat them like that. There are two of us that are still producing. That's ourselves and energy fuels. There it is. But let's be let's at least be kind and 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 gracious to the other guys that are still in this marketplace. And I think one of the things that I would uh, mention is that first of all, anybody who's been able to survive the last ten years since Fukushima, um, I don't care who they are or what they've actually done during those years, if they've been able to survive, they're, they're deserving of respect. And so uh, they'll get that respect from us. I think that there are other companies, Cameco can always come back into production. Uh, whether they consider these to be their first tier assets or not, they do have the best assets overall in the United States. That's just stating a fact. And the largest scale producer potentially in the United States remains Cameco. Um, you've got Peninsula. They're going to be producing uh, as a um, as a, a low pH uh, producer with a, with an acid leach. Um, I think that there is a potential there uh, for them to be uh, a solid producer. You've got UEC, and uh, UEC has um, uh, a plant down in Texas, and uh, they have potentially another um, solid production property in the state of Wyoming. So I think that they uh, could be um, uh, another producer. Uh, um, will probably take a little more time than uh, than even a peninsula uh, because peninsula is will be producing on their own property and they've been advancing these things and they're ready to go. And, uh, and uh, beyond that, I think the other guys are gonna be a little further along. And so uh, even if we would have gotten 232 and we would have gotten that quota that we were looking for, we would have taken four to five years to really ramp up to fully meet that quota. And unfortunately, we've allowed our uh, uranium production industry to fall into such a state of disrepair here in the United States that we are looking at those timeframes realistically now. And, and that's not saying anything. I don't believe negative about the industry. That's just that's just speaking fact. And so um, I think that we are in a unique position where we've built a real company. We know, I, I, I know what it's going to take. I, I mean, I know it's going to take me to get to 2 million pounds a year. It's going to be about 18 months and that's going to be about $40 million. But I know that what I've got built in there is I, I know what my cost of exploration and development are to replace those pounds that I'm producing. I know what the, I know what uh, it's going to take uh, in terms of contracts to get to recover my capital expenditures. And I, I know what it's going to take to build in an acceptable rate of return for my shareholders. Um, I mean, let's face it, with a lot of guys that are in my industry right now, you start asking those those questions, their, their eyes are going to roll back in their heads because those things they're not prepared to answer. They haven't analyzed that stuff yet. You know, we live modeling those numbers. We know what we're capable of doing and we've demonstrated it for the last eight years. And so um, I think that uh, there's there's a few of us that are in very, very good position and we stand ready to do all the things that we say we're going to do out in the marketplace. Others probably have a little more of a, of a timeline ahead of them. Um, but that's, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I'll say something and this is I, I probably not politically correct, but um, anybody who probably who took the time to read the Chinese uh, 14th five year plan, um, that's a government that's really planning for a future in nuclear power and to have it represent a substantial portion of their grid for many decades to come. And it is well reflected in that 14th five year plan. 
if the United States wants to take a look at the things that they need to be doing to really be a competitive player globally, look no further than what the Chinese are doing because they're really taking it seriously and they're doing a very good job of it. And uh, I think that the Biden administration, if they're really looking at what are some of the things that they need to do, um, then I hate to say this, but you really should probably try being a little more like the Chinese because these guys really have a handle on it. And um, I'll probably get in some trouble for that one. But, but, uh, uh, but I did read the five-year plan and it makes, it makes good sense. These guys are doing great things. Yeah, I think I think the politics uh, gets in the way sometimes of some of the Western societies, yes. and, and we and we think in decision making in, in uh, term lengths rather than long term, which is which is such a such a shame. Well, look, um, thank Jeff, thanks so much, uh, amazing um, to catch up with you, and it's been way 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 too long. Um, I'm excited about what's happening in the marketplace. Um, I get what you're positioning yourself for a groothy second half. I'm thinking, I'm thinking fourth quarter, Jeff. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. put my mouth what, what put my money where my mouth is fourth quarter. That's when we can see. Well I'll tell you what and thank, thanks for having me. And once again I'll I'll mention one last thing that is a market dynamic, but I think that we stand a very good chance of making it on to the Russell next year. We've been on three times, we've been off three times. We get on, it's a big boost to the stock. You get those 130, 140 index funds that need to own you. That would really give us a great year and and help us close the gap on some of our peers. So we feel very good about our positioning this year. And I think that we'll get on the Russell and I think that we're going to have a tremendous year. Good luck with that. Okay, well, appreciate your time. Speak to you soon. You bet, Matt. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.